This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Magpies Unrestricted. Ladies and gents, and welcome to Magpies Unrestricted, where we'll be talking all things Newcastle United. I'm your host, Chris Simpson, and joining me as always is Cara Thistlethwaite. Hello. And I'm afraid we're joining you after yet another Newcastle defeat at the start of the season, this time 2-0 to Aston Villa. And disappointing one, that this is actually the first time Newcastle that we've lost both of our opening two games uh, in a Premier League season. Uh, Well, it's the fourth time it's happened in six seasons, um, which for context, hadn't happened once in the previous 16. So, disappointing start to the season, we have to say. Well, can I just say, at least you're not Arsenal. <laughs> I think we're all grateful for that right now. <laughs> well, I mean, Callum Wilson didn't exactly have the best game that he's ever had. Was clear through early on. I just didn't even manage to hit the target. I mean, you put your house on that normally, wouldn't you? Well, no, because, you know, I don't bet on uncertain odds um but yes no I, I get what you mean it, it was very um uncharacteristic and it was an amazing goal by Danny Ings to be fair anyone would be proud of that so again one of those goals that you can't do really anything against but I'd argue that defense should have been on him a bit more yeah I, th- I think I mean yeah there's always some more you could have done there's, there's more you could do marking from the corner but I think ultimately you also do have to hold your hands up with that one and say, you know, what what a strike, that overhead kick, connected with it so sweetly. It's it, it's it's always annoying when it happens to your team, but you also have to sort of go, you know, that's a great goal. But yeah, it was it was a fr- very frustrating, I think, afternoon on Saturday. Yeah, especially with the uh, penalty, which I'm sure you'll have plenty to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as we well as we saw last week. Don't think that was a penalty this week. Again, I think that's I think it's really harsh and you know, VR VAR did have a look at it, but for me, yeah, I know Lascelles' arm was sort of up in the air, but I mean it wasn't over his head or anything, and it was point blank range that Tyron Mings headed the ball onto Lascelles' arm. Like what what is he supposed to do in that situation? You know what I mean? Like I mean, again, it's just classic Newcastle, though, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, as I say, we're not having a, a lot of luck at the moment. and Well, I'm sure every team thinks this, but I think in Newcastle's case, it probably it certainly feels accurate to say that I think we rarely have much luck when it uh, comes to penalties uh, at either end. <laughs> well, in fact, speaking of which... I think the other thing that frustrated me the most, and to be honest, even if we'd have scored it, whether we would have then successfully come back and scored again, probably not. But, you know, relatively late on when uh, Emmy Martinez, you know, flew out of his goal, Callum Wilson's clean through, and he just takes out Wilson completely. Yeah. You know, I mean, immediately gets booked, and then we end up not getting a penalty because Wilson was a toe offside. It's yeah, that that 
again, was half good technically, the letter of the law. But then the yeah, yellow I mean, card should have then been rescinded, I suppose. You've already basically acknowledged the fact that it is a foul, but then not given anything to the aggrieved side does seem a little bit un, un, ungenerous almost. But, you know, these things happen. You can't 100% argue against it. But once again, I'd like to say that's just the luck of the magpies, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I mean, I. Despite that, let's be honest, Newcastle did not register a shot on target until the 97th minute. So, despite you know the the penalties for and against, which went against Newcastle, you can't really see that they would have done anything to to come back really into that game. It was just a bit disappointing, I think, really, and with the penalty issues, frustrating. Yeah, I mean, uh, like like you said on the penalty, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, ultimately Callum Wilson was offside, even if it was fairly narrow. So yes, by the letter of the law, I guess it isn't a penalty, but it it doesn't quite sit right with me. And it, I know if you're on the other side, you breathe in a sigh of relief and you, you go, well, we got away with one there and you're happy and you don't care that, you know, <laughs> about the situation. But when you're on the receiving end of it, I have to say it, it doesn't it doesn't feel right. But again, as you said, I do completely agree. It was not a good performance overall from Newcastle. I think we should have done better in front of goal. We obviously didn't really have our shooting boots on. And yeah, we probably wouldn't have come back into it, even if we'd have clawed one back from the penalty. It certainly would have made it an interesting end to the game and Obviously, you never know. It certainly would have improved the confidence, but yeah, just a, a frustrating game. And as I say, overall, not a great start to the season. I mean, neither of them easy fixtures, but neither of them, you know, should have been super, super difficult either. You know, if you if you know what I mean. I mean, well, I, yeah, I, I think I think both both the teams that Newcastle have been pit against in, in this season that they're not actually. Bad teams, and they've, they've had a great deal of momentum at the end of last season. They're well organised. They have some pretty decent players in there. It was always going to be difficult, especially with the form that Newcastle have been in. Yeah, they just seem still to be in a bit of a slump. But, yeah, I don't think you can write it off as them being, like, really easy opponents at all. So th- there is that to take heart in. They are good teams well-organised teams. And yes, I know they're not a Man City or a Chelsea with their big, massive stars. But I said, that organisation goes a long way. So I wouldn't be too disheartened on the second game of the season, even though I know you are really depressed. No, I mean, ultimately, they're two teams that I think will finish above Newcastle. But if Newcastle are aiming to mix it around in mid-table this season, we probably know it'll be more towards the bottom as it was for much of last year but you know that's two defeats to two you know mid-table-ish sort of teams so not not the best of starts and uh, yeah hopefully hopefully it'll improve soon but uh, while we're on the slightly down note I have to say there's a slightly down there's a bit of news to get through this week and I'm afraid none of it's really very positive that's not even including the fact that we still haven't brought anyone else in um, but Week left in the transfer window. We'll 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 recap on next week's podcast if there is any last minute activity. I wouldn't hold your breath on that one, listeners. 
But um, yeah, just on the news front. So first of all, of course, there's the news that you may or may not have heard of Martin Dubravka's setback. Uh, I mean, we were still he was still quite a while away, um, you know, after recovering from his his surgery over the summer. But his wound has got infected, so that's another two weeks he's going to be out. So from now, you're looking at about eight weeks until he's back. Yeah, that's a massive blow. And of course, Kyle Darlow's still out as well with his long COVID. Yeah, I mean, to be fair though, your Newcastle's goalkeepers. You you are quite strong. I know you're on your third one at the moment, but you do have strong players in that position. So it's not terrible yet. Yeah, I mean, just I, I still want to see more of Woodman. I'm not sure the two uh, games that we've seen from him. You know, I, I'm not sure it's necessarily fair to judge him for the fact that we've conceded six times in those. I mean, exactly. two of them were penalties, one of which he saved. He saved. Yeah. And, I mean, El Ghazi's penalty on Saturday, I mean, you don't save that. I mean, he was uh, he absolutely smashed that one in. Yeah, and the overhead kick, obviously, as well from Ings yeah, in so this match. Th- there's not much you can really fault him with uh, for those six goals, really. So I do want to see a bit more of him, and uh, hopefully um, <laughs> hopefully it won't take him too much longer to get his first clean sheet for Newcastle because we do need to stop conceding. But you can't um, hold that against your goalkeeper. He's... He- no, of course not. It's, was, an, it's an eleven-man team, not just a one-man. But yeah, not not ideal at all to be without two of your first choices for potentially the first couple of months of the season, and of course then it'll still take them time to just get back to fitness as well. So yeah, not great, and to go from <laughs> kind of bad to worse. And this is a topic we've talked already quite a bit about on the podcast over the over the weeks, and of course we've seen. The abuse that James Sancho, Bukayo Saka, and uh, Marcus Rashford have obviously received in the wake of missing those penalties for England at the Euros, and this, of course, I'm talking about Joe Willock going on BBC Radio Newcastle to reveal just the extent of the racist abuse that he receives on social media on a daily basis. I mean, as I said, he literally every day I get messages messages talking about our colour or different things that are disgusting. You know, it's I just, again, it's, it's absolutely appalling. Yeah, and this I, isn't just from Newcastle fans, though I'm sure there are some Newcastle fans responsible. Hopefully not many, because, well, there's no place for it anywhere, and there's certainly no place for that in our club. But just fans generally just abusing him because he's a fairly high-profile black player, and... Yeah, as I say, we've talked about it before. Anyone who has listened to this or, or knows us, IRL, shall they say, you know, they'll know our feelings on this and how sickened we are by it. But it's but I mean the fact the fact that a young player has to effectively cut himself from well, well, the only way to deal with it is to cut himself off social media, and as he said, that means he loses connection with all the fans yeah. that support him every day. Um, and I just don't see why you'd even bother want to say any to, to say anything like that to, to affect another human being because there's no way you're going to say it without the intention of harming someone. So, yeah. And, well, exactly as you say. What you know? Why why should he have to lose the good side? And, some, and sometimes it's difficult to see the good side of social media when you hear about this sort of negativity. But 
all the positives that you can get from social media, all the encouragement, as you say, the interaction with the fans and said hopefully with a lot of Newcastle fans who are sending in positive messages, you know, why should he have to lose that just because of all these idiots? And as he said, and as we've said plenty of times, ultimately it comes down on the social media companies, your Instagrams, Facebooks, Twitters. It's on them to really start policing this because, as I said, we, we could talk all day about it, and we've said it a million times, but they're just not doing nearly enough, and it, it needs to stop, quite frankly. I mean, it's it's hard to, as I said, without spending hours talking about it, there's, there's not really much more you can say, but it's it continues to be depressing. Yeah, it just continues to be another point where enough isn't being done by the people who have the opportunity to do it. But from one um, controversial topic to another, Steve Bruce revealing that a lot of Newcastle players aren't double-jabbed or even single-jabbed for the COVID vaccine, which I find, I understand that it's a player's own choice. However, considering the problems that the Newcastle team in particular, with two players having COVID at least, and two players suffering from long COVID, it just seems bizarre that other players won't think, oh, this could actually affect my career, never mind life, and take the life but it's, it could affect their playing careers. You would have thought they'd do everything in their power to extend their opportunity to play football and not put their own team at risk by not having a jab. Yeah, I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. Um, yeah, obviously, I mean, Bruce said uh, his exact words were, it's fair to say we've got a lot of players who've not had the jab. and I've always said it's their prerogative. He then, in his, in his defence, he then did go on to say that his advice is for them to get jabbed, um, especially because obviously being footballers, most of them are younger people. And as we've seen, there is a rise at the moment of younger people going into hospital because not getting the jabs. Um, we'll get off our soapbox in a minute, folks. But yeah. yeah, I will say anyone listening, if you've not got the jab and if you're eligible, which I think everyone over the age of 18 is, go get your jabs. Uh, but as you said, on. With, in terms of the players specifically, as I say, you, you hit the nail on the head. Why risk potentially missing time out of the season or, or spreading it to your teammates? And I mean, you know, if, if there was an, a, another outbreak in the squad, then that can seriously harm the, just the team overall, <laughs> let alone your own health, which obviously is first and foremost the biggest priority. Yeah, uh, just get jabbed, people. And, Seriously, Newcastle players, get, yeah. get jabbed. Just go and get the jab. I mean, I'm sure everybody at some point has had someone who's suffered with or lost someone who has died from COVID. So do everything you can, people, to uh, stop that from happening. I will say in Newcastle defence, perhaps given that we have Voldemort in midfield, maybe he's whipped up a potion for them all that keeps them safe. Or maybe they have bigger problems than COVID. Maybe Voldemort is. Uh, I don't even. I can't remember what it is. What's the? What's the bad thing? The bad. The killing. Can, the killing yeah, curse. The killing curse. Whatever that is. Maybe, maybe they're playing under threat of that if they don't pass to, to John Joe Shelby. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> and uh, just finally, actually, just some sad news as well. Uh, Terry McDermott revealing that he's been diagnosed with dementia. Uh, this, of course, came after a similar announcement a couple of days earlier from 
Dennis Law, of course, the Man, Man United legend. Um, McDermott, as I'm sure you're probably aware, listener, although he's more famous for his spell with Liverpool, and you know all the headlines were you know former Liverpool legend Terry McDermott, but he also spent a huge amount of his career with Newcastle as a player and as an assistant coach. In fact, he actually had two spells with both. Um, given our age, you know, we know him and I know him really more as a as an assistant manager at Newcastle rather than his, his playing days, which of course are in the sort of seventies and eighties. But uh, yeah, obviously assistant uh, to Kevin Keegan and Kenny Dalglish back in the nineties, and then again for a few years to Sunas, Rhoda, Big Sam, and then Keegan again before well we know how the Keegan's second spell ended. Thank you, Mike Ashley, for that one. Um, and yeah, McDermott and as I say, following Dennis Law as well, it's it is becoming an increasing thing that we're seeing with these older players, um, as we see mainly I think linked to heading the ball and of course he, he played I mean, we'll have to see how it's affected with the current ball, which is obviously a lot lighter than it used to be, but the the heavy ball they used to play with back in the day and back in Terry McDermott's days. You know, we're seeing a lot of players of his age and a bit older starting to develop these conditions like dementia and Alzheimer's. And uh, it's obviously, well, first and foremost, it's it's very sad. And obviously we wish we wish all the players who were affected in, by this uh, well and their families. But yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting one sort of going forward I think in the coming years, as I think we learn more about this and potentially as maybe more sort of younger and more modern players are potentially affected by this. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that affects the game in terms of heading the ball. I mean, we know now they're starting to limit, you know, how often younger players head the ball. And potentially there might be, you know, this might, might be more limits in terms of, you know, professional players just you know how much they're allowed to do you know say practice sessions in training and things like that as well um i mean obviously i think as as fans you know there's we all love to see a good thumping header whether it's a, a good headed clearance from a defender or obviously you know a a bullet header into the back of the net you know is always a, a welcome sight but you know it's the the safety of the players obviously has to come first so i think there's a lot more that we'll hopefully learn, you know, in the coming years about this. And ultimately, you know, if, if heading, it'd be, it'd be in some ways very sad, but if it has to become a thing of the past, I think I think it has to be. Hopefully it won't come to that. And so hopefully we'll know a lot more, you know, in the near future about whether that will be required. I think but, the thing is you're never going to be able to police it. What are you going to do? Make heading it like, like a handball? Well, I, I'm not saying it will become this, but... You know, for example, when you play five aside, the ball isn't allowed to go overhead height. I don't know whether they'll necessarily restrict it to a height rule in football because that would certainly make things like goal kicks very difficult. But yeah, potentially you could. I'm not saying we'll ever get to that. And I think if we do, it'll be a very long time from now and to know what can happen between now and then. Uh, so I'm not sure heading weather completely disappear from the game. But it's it's certainly an interesting one to uh, to sort of keep an eye on in the coming years. And as I say, in the meantime, we just we have to wish these players well who are affected by it because you know dementia is is a terrible terrible thing to suffer with. And 
you know, uh, I know it's easy for a lot of fans to go, oh, well, you know, all these players are rich, they're, they're famous, they have this and that, and they have the big houses and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, you know, no one no one should have to suffer with dementia. And, you know, my, my full, fullest sympathy is to Terry McDermott, to Dennis Law, to their families and to all the other players and any other sufferers of it. Okay, back to... Um... The upcoming match then. So Newcastle versus Southampton. Uh, Newcastle first burning the League Cup on Wednesday. We'll talk about that more next week. And yeah. Southampton have just lost 3-1 to Everton in their first game and drew 1-1 with Man United. So, tricky. tricky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they certainly bounced back from what was obviously quite a disappointing first result for them, especially because they went 1-0 up against Everton. I mean, come on, it's Southampton. They've bounced back from 9-1s. So... <laughs> Well, I can't see us winning 9-1, especially... No, me neither. Especially if we don't register a uh, shot on target till the 97th minute. But, yeah, it could be a bit of a tricky one. It's They'll certainly have got some confidence back from the draw with Man United, which, especially considering Man United were one of the teams that drew... Not, uh, sorry, drew. That absolutely destroyed them 9-1. I think to then have drawn with them, probably, and sort of exercise those demons a little bit, and as we've said, you know, after the two defeats, while not a complete disaster, it is imperative that we start getting points on the board as quickly as possible. Now, I think what does give me some hope is that actually we have a very good recent record against Southampton, which makes a change considering our recent record against a lot of teams. Never going to be able to say that again, are you? No. <laughs> this is the last time this season that I say that we have a good recent record against someone. <laughs> No, but I mean, you know, in the, in the last seven times we've played them, we won five of them and uh, only lost one. So, I mean, that's pretty good going by, well, by anyone's standards, let alone Newcastle's. So, you know, that does give me some hope. Uh, as we've said, first of all, we have to get this League Cup match with Burnley out of the way. There's not much point in us giving it too much of a preview because chances are by the time you listen to this, it'll probably have already happened. So we'll talk more about that next week we'll look back at the Burnley game and obviously we'll look back at this Southampton game but yeah we're at home as well so there's that and yeah we need to start showing what we can do going forward hopefully I mean Joe Willock obviously was able to start last week but you know I think he was a little bit rusty uh, after obviously not really doing much pre-season so yeah fingers crossed he's a bit sharper yeah, hopefully Callum Wilson put his shooting boots back on because uh, well, obviously we saw his sort of predatory instincts in the first game and it just seemed to abandon him against Aston Villa. So, yeah, fingers crossed <laughs> Yeah, well, improvement. Yeah, we'll see, see what happens. So it could either be doubly depressing or doubly good, I suppose, next week. Anyway, so Newcastle's all-time 11. So today we're going to be looking at right back and left back. So... Chris, you've gone for Bill McCracken as a right back and Frank Hudspeth for left back. So yeah, both famous for their defensive solidarity. Um, and both played for Newcastle for 19 years and served as captain of the team. So two very, very strong individuals. However, you have stretched right back into the dinosaur ages for these two. Why? Well, yeah, I mean, look, with this one, I've kind of gone a bit historical with it. I mean... A bit? <laughs> very. I mean, look, uh, first of all, shout out to Warren Barton and John Beresford, who I imagine a lot of listeners might have thought 
would be my picks. And I was tempted to go with them. They were, of course, our two fullbacks during the entertainers era. And what a fond memories of them, you know, bombing forward. I think a lot of fans who watched Newcastle in that time, and, and they were both fantastic players and, and key parts of that team. But uh, I just, I had to, having researched these guys, and as I say, a lot of your listeners may never have even heard of them. I, you know, I saw, because they were, again, they were both largely played at the same time uh, for a lot of their 19-year periods. Weird that they both played for the exact same number of years, but, and there was, you know, there's a lot of overlap there. And both absolute Newcastle legends, to be honest. Uh, so said, so if you haven't heard of them, listeners, I will just give you a bit of background on them. Uh, now, Hudspeth, you, you're probably more likely to have heard of because uh, he actually holds the Newcastle's record for outfield appearances with 472 and scored 37 goals, which for a left-back, um, pretty damn good. Uh, a lot of those were penalties. He was a great spot-kick taker by, by all accounts. And he was the left back, and then McCracken on the other side, 432 appearances and eight goals from right back. And yeah, the pair were basically just this incredibly solid defensive duo. And, you know, huge shout out to them, listeners. The basically between them, they essentially invented the offside trap. So they actually contributed quite a lot to the history of football and, and certainly defensive football. Um, and actually so good were they at exploiting <laughs> the uh, offside trap that the FA originally had to change the offside rule in 1925. Uh, so basically they reduced it. That What it used to be was that there had to be three defending players ahead of the attacker and they began to try and counter teams like Newcastle in particular who were so good at it that they had to then reduce it to the current rule, which, of course, is two players. Uh, and, I, I mean, that's just... It's just insane, isn't it? I mean, imagining in present day that one team is just... Just a, a couple of players are just so good at one particular thing that they basically invented that literally the rules of the game have to change to give the other teams a chance. That's actually hilarious. <laughs> It's almost just pathetic is just not allowing us to put nice fancy designs in the ground, isn't it? I mean, they just learnt the rules and use them to their advantage. But hey, you know, fair play. So yeah, so just so people know this, this was McCracken um, was 1904 to 1923 and Hudspeth was 1910 to 1929. So if any of you listeners remember them, wow. Then first of all, well done for being alive. Um, (laughs) And second of all, You've got an amazing memory. <laughs> but, and it's worth noting that uh, between the two of them, as I say, there was a lot of overlap. So they didn't they didn't all win both of them, but between them, they won all four of Newcastle's league titles. Uh, so McCracken won a few uh, in his early years, and then we won again in the 20s uh, after he left with Hudspeth. And we, they also won two FA Cups between them as well. So one of the, I mean, obviously a long period, but one of the most successful periods of Newcastle's history. So that sort of edged out Barton and Beresford for me, even though I have to say I was very tempted to go with them because of the role they played with the entertainers. Yeah, and you've also got a shout out to Ryan Taylor here, mainly for his, um, how do I put this, his ability to make Sunderland bleed. (laughs) Yeah, I have to say, I was always a huge fan of Ryan Taylor, so I wanted to give him a bit of a shout out as well. 
I mean, he wasn't the most reliable fullback defensively. To be honest, in some ways, I, I always thought he was a bit more suited to either a wing back or or even just a right midfield role than right back. But I mean, yeah, his free kicks, listeners, were were so good. I was honestly when we signed him from Wigan, I was so pleased because I was a huge fan of his even then, and yeah, so many great memories of him. Obviously, the uh, as we all remember, you know, the, the Ryan Taylor over the wall chant, and obviously the one against Sunderland in particular stands out. I mean, what a free kick! Absolutely sensational. So I wanted to just give him a shout out and. Obviously, on a slightly depressing note, we know then how he was treated by the club, but the less said about that, the better. Please leave our club, Mike Ashley. For the love of God, please leave our club. <laughs> but yeah, big shout out to Ryan Taylor as well, because a lot of fond memories of him in a Newcastle shirt, I have to say. But yeah, it, Frank Hudspeth and Bill McCracken, if uh, you weren't already aware of them, listeners, some pretty notable players from Newcastle's history and in the history of football. So I think some pretty fine additions to our team. Well, didn't get much worse. Excuse me. <laughs> anyway, no. So excuse me. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk about your current team. Um, <laughs> that's fair then. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it then. I think for today, guys. Yep. Yeah, as I say, next week we'll have a look back on those two games: the Burnley game and the Southampton game. Hopefully, with some some good news. He says. And we'll also look back on the end of the transfer window since that uh, will pretty much be at an end by the time next week's podcast comes out. So we'll know then if we manage to get literally anyone else aside from Joe Willock, whether they be on loan, which is a lot more likely, or by some miracle actually pay real money for someone again, which is not going to happen. I can mostly (laughs) completely guarantee that. Uh, But in the meantime, if you could please give the podcast a like and subscribe and leave us a positive review, that'd be absolutely amazing, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, And until next time, we have been Magpies Unrestricted. I've been your host, Chris Simpson. Cara, you've been Cara. Thank you. Thank you, I try my hardest. (laughs) And thank you, listeners. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.